0: Alright, time to kick it with your best
1: friends in the singing industry. You know, the mates who know some stuff, but you can still have a pint with. It's the Naked Vocalist Podcast with Chris Johnson
0: and Steve Giles. Welcome back listeners, episode 52. Back again, Steve, it's been a while. It has been a little while and we've gone back to basics. Yes. Oh, I don't know. This may this may not go down well. If the only thing you ever did was listen on audio, no bother. Not a problem. Mm. Um, however, if you are used to the videos, sorry. <laughs> Nothing's going to change. No, it's not, is it? And we have to be honest, don't we, Steve? It's just because... Um, for, sorry to the video people, but the videos by far and away, are the least favourable way to take in the podcast. Literally 98% of, co- of the podcast consumed is on audio. Yeah. So, I mean, and the video yeah. takes bloody ages, doesn't it? That's it. I
2: was going to say 98% of listenership whilst 80% of the workload to <laughs> <did> deliver <80% laughs> of the results. So we got rid of the 80%. And now we've got seven we've got seventy eight percent
0: of great stuff. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever that means, I sort of you started to get a bit vague. I don't know I d I don't know what which percentage relates to what now. <laughs> yeah, nor do I. That so we're sense. we're in with a bang. We're in with a bang with a, with a, a nerdy um, pair of people uh, as our guests this week but before before Steve gives you a uh, a lowdown on what what to expect uh, let's just um, fill you in on some of the things that are going to be happening this year actually in person in terms of events so for for the people in the us um, Steve and I are confirmed to be coaching at the vocalize you artist intensive. 2018 that is from the july the 13th to july 22nd we've been there probably what was what it like three times already yeah if not four yeah something like that so uh we deliver a class there for for the singers in the morning but there's there's training for artist development songwriting dancing backing vocals um private vocal lesson tuition and there's a teacher training track as well which is also, amazingly awesome. There's Ingo Tietze is usually there with a bunch of other amazing people. Um, so, if you are keen to be in LA from July the 13th to the 22nd, then get yourself along to uh, VocalizeYou.com forward slash event, and you'll see the event there at the top. Um, we are not paid to recommend you to go to this event. We just we're just there. And we think it's great. So there's that one. For, for teachers now in the UK, there is another event that we'll be at called the Vocology in Practice um, Voice Teacher Education Forum, which is in London of all places. Now, this is amazing because they normally do the training in the US. But this time in London, I think it's in Chiswick in London, which is from April 19th, to the April to April 22nd um, again Ingo Tietze is confirmed uh, Dr. Richard Miller, who's another uh, crazy good researcher is there as well Dave Stroud, um, Rena Gupta, both previous guests on this uh, show Joshua Alamu so many so many different people are confirmed to be coming over, but you can see the full list at vocology in com forward slash forum two zero one eight forum 2018 and again not paid to speak anything like that but no doubt hopefully we will see some of you at one or both of those events mm. so this week's episode mate yeah me what's the- what, what can we what can we expect
2: I would just say off the back of those two events, so whether you're a teacher or a singer, there is no doubt about it. You will feel a hell of a lot different when you leave the because we've been there for both. You will feel a hell of a lot different when you leave either one, depending on if you're a teacher or a singer. This is why we want to want to tell you about it because it, it is in some way life changing, uh, both of them, and there's no doubt about that. So if you can, if you can, if you've got the finances and the time, definitely do it. So. This week's episode, though, we're, we're talking to Jillian and Jeremy from the Vocal Process. The out- Vocal Process. I, I don't know why I said Just it like that. Just in case
0: there's <laughs> any other other yeah. imposters out there.
2: The the one and only Vocal yeah. Process. But they, uh, you can find that at vocalprocess.co.uk for more information on that. But in this episode, what we're talking about the things that may or may not give you value are the the geekery the vocal geekery that we go into because they're all about that that's for that's for sure and some of the things included in that are imagery in singing if ever you've been told to place the place the sound in your face uh put (laughs) put the sound forward all that business Uh, is that helpful well Gillian and Jeremy are going to let you know and also registers whether or not it's a good thing to ram your chest voice into your eyes (laughs) <laughs> we did put it like that in the, in the podcast, but all centred around uh, the, the anatomy of registers and, uh, and how we can best go about finding our way through the registers. Uh, we spoke about their one minute warm up app that's currently on iTunes, ready to download. And a, a listener question about Tilt. Ooh. Facebook forums at the moment,
0: which will be there, yeah for for the for the enthusiasts of the still technique, or even just people who have heard that term before. It does come with quite a lot of ambiguity, doesn't it? That yeah. uh, So, yeah, yeah. Um, hopefully, that will... yeah, they were they were uh, gracious to give us some more insight into that. So, perfect. Um, just want to also let you guys know um, towards the or at the end of the interview, if you're interested in. Um, taking in more, more of Jillian and Jeremy's information, uh, which they have on their website as paid webinars. They have actually offered as a 40% discount on their paid webinars. Um, so hang in at the end of the interview in the outro, when we come back and I will give you the codes, um, to put in, to, to obtain that discount kindly given to us. Exclusive that is to naked vocalist listeners. Okay. So all that's left to do is just leave it to Gillian and Jeremy to crack on. Welcome, listeners. Uh, We are here with Vocal Process. Gillian and Jeremy, welcome. Thank you. Uh, Good to have you here. We normally get an intro ready for everyone. And uh, upon speaking to you, it would seem that your intro, purely because of all of your credentials, is extremely long. <laughs> Too long for me to remember, in fact. Um, the only, word, the only, the only um, uh, section I can remember reliably is 1996, Okay, <laughs> which is when you guys first started teaching together. That's right. Um, although you did uh, just tell me the first years in which you started teaching but I won't disclose those, okay? Uh, instead, we can start with uh, uh, handing it over to you guys to tell us, how have you arrived at this
1: point? Can we just talk From about beginning. the first time that we did actually work together? Mm. Because we'd met, I think, in Uh We've been
3: teaching together longer than we've been in... A marital
1: relationship. Yeah. Right. Yes. So the very first time we worked together, Gillian asked me to go and play for a a workshop at the Actor's Centre in London. Mm -hmm. And it was literally the first thing we'd done together. And the people on the workshop came up to us afterwards and said, how long have you been working together? It's great. And we said, this is the very first time. And they said, the rapport between you is extraordinary.
0: Mm. Was it shortly after when you got on one knee? No. Mm. Was that the prompter? No, no, no. Seven,
3: seven, no, seven, guys. no not at all. Actually, As a matter, matter of fact, I then took him out to dinner.
1: Yeah. That's what i like to see. I thought it was a good wee. So but really. actually, actually, we should really tell you the way that we actually met which is Gillianne was teaching a course with somebody that I'd done a course with ages before, and I turned up unannounced, and she tried to throw me out. <laughs> was it heavy. tried?
0: That means oh, that signifies a lack of success oh, on the, that one. The thing is
1: that um, I'd shaved my head, I wore contact lenses, and i shaved my beard off, and so nobody recognised me until <laughs> I spoke. And then they went,
3: oh, it's Jeremy. He looked like a dodgy geezer. Yeah, him <laughs> immediately. He's yeah, it wearing.
1: It was a bit unfortunate, because it was in a place that occasionally had hobo, walking in. <laughs> so she thought I was a See, I did yeah.
3: yeah. Jeremy you know has um, a training and a long history as a collaborative pianist and he is able to just chip in occasionally and also know when to step back if he needs to. Now of course the relationship that we have now is very different from that That, but what happened then was that Jeremy picked up on what I was working with with a student and the way I was coaching them and he would kind of input and make a change that would make a difference. And I think that's why people saw the rapport working so well. Mm. And that is actually something that has that kind of beneficial relationship. Oh, now I want to use both hands. Dear listeners, say, yes. I have only one hand at the moment. Gillian broke her arm, her yeah. right
1: arm, uh, a couple of months ago, and it's, the plaster is due to come off in about three days' time.
3: <laughs> so, but I mean, that interface between us is what has really continued and grown throughout our joint career.
1: And uh, I think it's important because we have different backgrounds, mm. because Gillian trained and performed and had a career as a singer, and I trained and performed and had a career and still have a career as a collaborative piece. Uh, so we come from very different backgrounds. Julianne from the singer background and me from the instrumentalist and ensemble coach background and performance coach. So that together we sort of cover all bases, which is really useful. So, and also because we know each other so well, there's, we sort of know where the thought processes are going and either of us will do shortcuts. So if I'm working with somebody on performance and Gillian goes, oh, no, we need to do this. Mm. Or if Gillian is doing a technical thing and I'm going, OK, so the, the context in which you are going to use this is that let's go here.
2: Yeah, and that's, so with all that and uh, fast forward however many years it may be, um, webinars, workshops, books, apps, taking over the vocal world. What was it that actually made you two go... We need to go and take over the the vocal
1: world and and help in this industry. Desperation? (laughs) A mortgage? Can we earn a living? Funnily enough, it was the decision, I think, that as a a singing teacher or a vocal coach or a performance coach or somebody who works live with people, you can only work with one person at a time or one group at a time. Mm -hmm. And I... uh, did a whole load of uh, internet marketing stuff when I was younger. And one of the big premises behind that is, can you earn money in your sleep? And the answer to that is no, not if you're doing live. But if you have resources that people can find, and then they can find out about you online, and then they can come to you and do Skype sessions or FaceTime sessions or one-to-ones or come and visit or come and do courses with us or do the webinars or whatever...
3: I want to say something about group teaching, because actually I got into group teaching totally by mistake. As Jeremy said, I trained as a classical singer and I did what I think a lot of people of my generation did was that I did a bit of teaching on the side. I did not expect to be a teacher. I got into teaching by mistake, but it was a really, really happy accident. So I was doing a little bit of preparing people for exams, you know, the very traditional route. And I used to teach piano as well and theory, because I do play keyboard, but nothing like as well as as Jeremy does. And I was asked if I would like to go and work with actors in a drama school, because my reputation was getting around in my local area, and they thought that perhaps I'd be a good person to work with actors. So I cheerfully said yes, and I, I went in and met the staff. And they said to me, Uh, Do you think it would be all right if you worked with small groups? And I thought, okay, well, you know, I've been going to Feldenkrais sessions in small groups and we all work together quite nicely. So, yeah, I'll give it a go. First class, 20 people. (laughs) And what was the song I took? I took Cole Porter's In The Still Of The Night. Now, if you know the published key in that, it goes up to F5. Granted, the boys were singing an octave lower.
1: Yeah, that's um, an octave and a half. Me, yeah,
3: so uh, two thirds of them said, we can't sing that note. That's too high. Now, this was a real baptism of fire for me because I had worked as a leader singer and an early music singer. And I said for years and years, well, everybody has an F after that experience. But working with that in that group situation, I had to completely turn around the way that I... Communicated concepts about the voice because you work with 20 actors in a room and most of them are scared, witless of singing and you have to find a way to reach them and you know actors are very forthcoming because if you talk rubbish they'll hear it and they'll feed it back to you
1: I think this is really interesting there's a the group of people there that are very skilled with spoken voice Any actor, any professional actor is skilled with spoken voice Mm -hmm. and yet they can feel desperately unskilled with singing voice. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really fascinating because we do use the same instrument, we use the same things, but there are things about singing that are more extended, more exposing. Um, The whole business of the fact that you extend sound when you sing, which you don't tend to when you speak, means that the actual timbre, the actual tone of voice that you use becomes far more important. And also Mm -hmm. genre. Mm. You know, the moment you're in classical, beauty of tone is everything, and legato and smooth singing is everything. And the moment you go into musical theatre, story is everything, and you happen to be singing on pitch. The moment you go into R&B, riffs are everything, so notes. All these genres have different requirements, and I don't know that you get that in the speaking voice training.
3: It's more than that, though, because an actor is always motivated by text and psychology and um, intention and purpose. And so the idea that they have to, say, produce a particular kind of sound quality is just an anathema to them. So you have to find a way of helping them find that affect or that emotion, often in speaking voice. A lot of what we do... So we will get people to whinge and moan and go, oh, I'm so fed up, or now I'm going into a really soothing kind of voice. And <laughs> how would I use that? And then eliciting that in singing voice, which is very helpful. I just want to backtrack a bit about the whole thing about working with groups, though, because the traditional way of learning singing, as you guys know, is one to one where the teacher tells you whether what you're doing is right or wrong and the teacher does interventions to improve your voice. You can't work in that way with a group. So you have to learn to explain uh, concepts about voice in a very digestible way and you also have to create stepped exercises and stepped processes that a whole group can do that will make a change. And that was what I learned from doing that. And I also, coincidentally, did a lot of cross-referring with my voice colleagues. So I would go and sit in on their lessons. I worked with Andrew Wade, who was uh, head of uh, the uh, Voice at the Royal Shakespeare Company for many years. So this was early in his career. And he used to sit in on my lessons. And we sat and we talked and we got together. And what I realized was a voice and speech teacher actually has a process. The average singing teacher in my day did not. It was, you make this sound, this is the sound I'm looking for. There wasn't a real sort of, um, like I said, a stepped process, not really cognition of what the process was. That really changed my teaching, and I think it was that that really helped us when we started to work with groups. And I I think you really learned from that group thing with with Mm. me as well.
1: Mm. Because as a... a, um, as a pianist, I had, o- sorry, uh, American audience, as a pianist, um, I'm just going to digress for a moment, because when, <laughs> when we were working in Israel, Gillian uh, introduced me as, uh, this is Jeremy, he's my husband, and he's a great pianist.
3: No, he's a fabulous pianist.
1: And the whole Israeli ladies in the audience just raised eyebrows and laughed, and it's the difference in pronunciation between pianist and pianist.
3: <laughs> and we leave the rest to you. Yeah, absolutely. So, learned that lesson.
1: Yeah. I think, um, as a collaborative pianist, um, I'm usually working with one person at a time, and I'm also coaching one person at a time. And if I'm coaching an ensemble, I won't be playing. So I'm not involved at all. And I think it was the, the idea of teaching technique to groups was quite a revelation for me.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm. And so with all of those mixtures of genres, abilities, psychological um, limitations... Do you, can of worms, do you have uh, an approach? And if so, what is that when you go to teach the groups? Is it like a universal?
3: I would say um, the thing that really excites me as a trainer is the function of the voice. You know, I uh, went uh, back to university at the age of 50 to do a doctorate with voice science content because... I realized that although I was doing very well in my career and I had good recognition because of you know my published works and the places where I'd worked that there were there were too many unanswered questions for me and I wanted to find out those answers. I didn't want to be at the top of the tree waiting for younger people to come up and feeling I regret to say I've seen this happen so often in our profession, uh, feeling that I had to keep those people down. I didn't want to do that. That's why I went to do my doctorate. And the doctorate really embedded for me... uh, knowledge of vocal function so for me it's about what's going on in the mechanics and I am going to mention here that what probably set me off on that journey back in the early 1990s was coming across the Estill stuff which came to the UK in 1991 and I went into it because I didn't know how to teach my students to belt and people were needing to belt at that point in time and I had students who could and I didn't know what they were doing. Uh, So it was very useful from that point of view. And of course, um, Jo S. still talked about function of voice. Some of those things now are outmoded and uh, need updating. But nevertheless, for us in the UK, that was quite uh, a turning point to actually have someone who was a singer talk about function of the voice rather than what the Swedes rather nicely call the flower language. You know, I've not to heard of that. You have, to, you have to expand on that Yes, they, oh. call, they call it flower language, so it's all about imagery. Think, of,
1: think of that you're singing like a pink fluffy cloud. Yeah. Sure. Right.
3: yeah. So for a long time, I think because of that influence, I didn't use imagery, but now I do, because anything that elicits the change in the student, that makes sense to the student, is something that you want to use. And I think what helps as someone who understands the mechanics of the voice, is that you can create an image with that student that is meaningful, but also not too far away. So for example, um, an image that wouldn't work would be to say, put your voice forward. So a student who took that very literally would think about putting their voice forward. And I have had students who've slavishly followed that instruction, working with a different teacher, and I've seen the larynx pushed up and forward in an attempt to go forward.
1: And also, the most, for- the furthest forward point on your face is the tip of your nose. Mm. So you're highly likely, if you're going to follow that literally, to sing down your nose.
0: Mm hmm. Or with a jutted chin or something yeah. to reach forward in any yeah. case, or yeah. on the. Tiptoes leaning that way.
1: Yeah, seen all of those. Yes.
3: So I think traditionally what happened with singing teaching was that it was about the output. You listened to the output and you hoped you knew how to create a different input to change that output. But the instruction that you gave was normally about output. It needs to be more forward. So a more forward bright sound is an example of output. For instance, it might have more resonance in the upper harmonics. But you don't achieve that output by putting your voice forward.
1: Listening to an output, you're listening to a sound and you're going, that's the sound I want. And the sound that I want is forwards. Therefore, I want you to bring the sound forward. So you're using the output as an instruction to create it. But the output is a result of doing something else. You're not giving them instruction to do that thing. You're giving them instruction to give that output. And that may or may not work. More likely, it won't work. Yeah. So then, you have students who are struggling to do what you want them to do, but not knowing how to.
0: Absolutely, and I think a lot of our listeners, we see it on the on the forums, on our group, um, people sending questions in. How do I achieve a more forward tone, mm. or forward, or placement is the word often used. So I think it's really important for people out there to kind of like start exploring that notion of output and input. Which one could I reliably go for to get the result I want? Mm. And, chances are it's very seldom, the output.
1: Can I give you an example of forward-backward? Yes. The sound, uh, I need to bring my sound more forward. The first place I go when I hear somebody saying that is, what is the back of your tongue doing? Mm. Because it's likely, if you have a backed sound, and I'm using inverted commas there, Mm -hmm. um, if you have a backed sound, it's likely that the back of your tongue is low. And therefore, the biggest resonating space that you're making is at the back of your mouth and down. The moment you bring the back of your tongue up slightly, the sound will move forwards. That's a result of doing something specific.
0: Mm. Absolutely. And so what what would be your guys' go-to instruction for that?
3: For fixing that, uh, probably playing around with the more forward vowels and comparing them with the back vowels. I mean, you might need to change tongue position generally and, and raise awareness of tongue position. But, you know, just as Jeremy said, a higher-backed tongue and a more fronted tongue is going to... Raise the second formant, mm-hmm. and therefore we're going to have a perceptually brighter sound. Now, I probably would not use the F word at all <laughs> with my clients, unless it was someone who knew about harmonics, and I might say, "Oh, you know, here you've got brighter harmonics." Mm. But so you might, you know, might need to do quite a bit of unpicking of uh, tongue positions, and also the other thing that you talk about a lot, Je- Jeremy, and I've taken it from you, which is, what's the instruction the student is holding in their head? Mm-hmm. So if the student holds a belief from either a singing teacher or, or their own perception of how sound is made... That or finding it's on the internet. They must yes. make a bigger space inside their, inside their voice. Mm. And, of course, one of the tangible ways we can do that is by huh, mm. yawning. If they're holding that instruction... Of course, they're not going to be able to change their tongue position because that overriding instruction is being held.
1: Half of our lessons are working out what the overriding instruction is that someone's already holding mm. and deciding whether it's appropriate or not.
0: I think, that's mm. really, I think that's a really interesting part of the singing teacher journey because I can recall many moments um, of uh, where, where a student would say something and I'm like, oh... Mm that's why we can't get here for the last three months. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You learn that lesson sort of several times and then you start being a little bit more questioning of like, yeah, why isn't this going there? Like, let's talk about like what you've heard, what you've read, what you're thinking about. And then uh, that's when we can change from like technique solves everything to digging deep in the mind those beliefs, like you said. Yeah.
2: Well, exactly? And it goes back to your point about whether. Well, I can't remember if you said this before we started recording or after. But, um, <laughs> uh, but um, about um, the understanding of the understanding of the, the student the singer um, and um, the application of technique. And when we start off learning, a lot of us um, uh, will will have a technique. To teach and we, all, and that's how, you know, as a teacher, that's really comforting because we've got a method and structure, but then everyone gets it, everyone has, everyone is applied with this, with this
0: magical potion. Yeah,
2: and as you say, the more you go on, the more you understand that it's almost worthless if there isn't an understanding and empathy for the situation that the human being is in on the other side, because, um, one they may not need it and secondly uh, they definitely may not understand it so um, that's really interesting so with all that said has there been over the years any um, significant revelations for you guys
1: I've got one okay. I, uh, we, we were in the voice clinic in Edinburgh and this is many years ago and we were looking at voice analysis and we were listening to recordings and we were looking at all sorts of things and I I had one of those extraordinary moments where it was like um, that you see on television where the whole of the background blurs and you focus in on one thing and I suddenly went, oh, I can hear the vocal folds I can actually get away from all the resonance stuff that's going on and I can go down and I can actually hear what the vocal folds are doing That's bizarre and it it is bizarre because you go, OK, I know that you're using an, an or vowel to create resonance. I know that the back of your tongue is slightly low. I know that you're in a medium-thick vocal fold here. But I can actually hear what sound is being made. Not the actual sound that's going down on there because it would just be... That's fine. But I'm hearing what's going on without all the resonating stuff. And that was ex- that was an extraordinary moment because... I thought, if I can do that, then I can start analysing much more accurately what people are doing.
0: Mm, And then diagnosing much quicker. Much quicker interesting because you
1: start then to to, you start to break things down you start to go is this a resonating thing is it a belief thing is it a vocal fold thing what's the airflow doing what are the vocal folds doing with the airflow Um, what's getting the airflow up to the vocal folds how is that working how much is it how much is leaking and so on and so on It it was one of those domino things where I just went that happens and now I can do all of this
0: Very interesting.
1: And Mm. you, Julianne, what about
3: you? Do you know, I'm much more of a slow burn kind of gal, so Mm. it didn't happen like that for me. I think one thing which I spoke about earlier, which was that I realised that my voice and speech colleagues had a process and I didn't. And then sort of later on, it was when I I was working with individuals after I, you know, worked as an Estill trainer... And I'd written my first book. I continually found that female singers were coming in and talking about a middle register. Or well, this feels like a mix. There we use the M word. Oh or god. this feels like oh a mix. Oh god!
0: Mi- this is supposed this to be an a, hour. Let's stop it? this.
2: Stop this recording right now. Abort. <laughs> hey, let's talk mix.
3: It's actually the reason why I went to do a PhD. And what I noticed was that they were always referring to this. Now as having you know, having been a, a trained soprano classical soprano because i didn't use my chest voice very much because it's a bit of a no-no you're not really meant to
1: can i just say she didn't use it at all
3: <laughs> thank you for that <laughs> <laughs> except Truth. when i spoke but because it, it wasn't allowed you didn't even use it in warm-ups you did not go there um And then, because of having gone through the Estill journey, registers simply aren't mentioned or or referred to, and they certainly weren't when, when I did it. And then I was coming across these girls, particularly the women, were talking about it. But now I've got this place in the middle. It feels like a mix. It feels like something's happening there. And I would work with them. And I noticed that there seemed to be lots of different versions of what people did in that middle range. And I thought, well, that's quite interesting. So I learned from my students, you know, because it is always a two-way process teaching, isn't it? And it was really that that set me off to do the PhD and I started to think and read everything I could about register theory. And it was a massive realisation for me to realise that stuff I'd learned from Estill could be mapped, on vocal registers and should be mapped on vocal registers and that learning that vocal registers are patterns of vibration Mm. that was a really big thing for me talking of the slow burn sometime during my work on reading about registers i came across the research that was done in the bell uh, telephone laboratories in 1944 where they did sort of a high-speed photography and they were looking it must have been at male voice and I think you can still get copies of this and what they noticed was that there was a different pattern of vibration between falsetto and modal and I went oh different pattern of vibration wow if we're thinking about what's happening at vocal fold level this is critical mm-hmm. and I can tell you that over the last 20 years that we've been working together, we have had to change our thinking over and over again, Mm. reviewing and revising how we teach something like, you know, the outcome of a particular voice quality, which is very useful when you're working with actors because they have to produce different sorts of sounds, not just one load of sounds, you know, one type of sound. And being able to map the registers... Underneath the sound output was really, really important mm. and it's changed the way that I teach and unfortunately it makes it slightly more difficult and complicated yes. and less simplistic I, and I had to go with it. I don't actually
1: know that I agree with that because what was interesting for me, the, the whole business of... Um, That's because uh, you're a
3: man. <laughs> <Yeah>. well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay. And you're
1: married <laughs> as well.
3: I've <laughs> yeah. got
0: to slip that one and you guys are allowed to do this.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, partly, it 's because uh, i 'm a man because in the male voice we tend to use a modal vibration over much more of our range um, functionally than women do in general, um, so as an opera singer if, if you 're an operatic bass, you are going to be solely in modal voice in, in a modal vibration, whatever else you 're doing. I think what was so interesting about discovering the, the modes of vibration and it 's a uh, creak or vocal fry modal, falsetto and whistle. And obviously whistle is Mariah Carey Land um, and Creek is just coming into the speaking voice all the time now, um, which is lovely. Um, <laughs> is it? <laughs> so mainly you sing in modal or falsetto and the Creek and the whistle tend to be uh, additions, if you like.
3: So if we wanted to clarify that for an American uh, audience... And actually, for a lot of European audience, if we said M1 or M2, then they'd probably be happy with that particular statement. Sure,
1: okay. <laughs> just, just, just to be aware, in Europe they're numbered differently, and in America, the, in America it's M1, 2, 3, and 4, and in Europe it's M0, 1, 2, and yes, 3, right, which is right. really yeah, confusing. Yeah. So
0: confusing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No wonder nobody can agree. Yeah. Or so I'm, I'm going
1: with modal and falsetto. What I think is interesting about this is that it is not, as far as I am aware, possible to mix a modal and a falsetto vibration. Mm-hmm. They are two entirely different vibrations where the vocal folds are behaving in different ways. Now, once you accept that, because that's a big one to accept, anything that you do, any mixes that you do, could be a mix on modal and a mix on falsetto. Can't have both, but you can have either. So when people talk about the mix, my first question is, what are you mixing on? What are your vocal folds actually doing? Because you could do a light modal mix, you could do a twangy modal mix, you could do a bright modal mix, you could do a breathy modal mix. And then you can do all of those things on a falsetto. Mm. So which is why when we did one of our webinars, we came up with head voice one and head voice two. We just
3: thought it was the best way to deal with it. Yeah. yeah.
1: And the interesting thing is, I think this is why it's one of those, and we've had this with the teachers that we train, it takes them a bit of time to get their head around the idea of a head voice one and a head voice two because the underlying vocal fold vibration is different. Once they start to find it themselves and they start to hear it, it makes life so much easier. The really fascinating thing about the vibration is... In a modal vibration, you've got the thyroarytenoid muscle active. It's there. Whatever else you're doing with it, the the TA, is active. In a falsetto vibration... And the
3: vertical phase difference. The
1: vertical phase difference is there. Mm -hmm. In a falsetto vibration, TA is lax. It's not happening. It's it's relaxed. It's let go. And therefore, you don't have the vertical phase difference. What this actually means is that if you're in a modal vibration of any kind, you can change things at vocal fold level. You can make the vertical phase difference slightly smaller. You can make, you can, you can start you can play with the muscle and what it does. In a falsetto, you can't play with the muscle because it's not active. Therefore, you're starting to play with all of the resonating things above it. That's what causes all the changes. Now, you can play with resonating changes above a modal as well, but you have an extra thing in the equation. The difficulty comes with classical singers, particularly female classical singers, who have been taught to sing with a falsetto vibration. And that's perfectly okay. And they're using all of these supraglottal resistance things. So they're using a back tongue, they're using more twang, they're using whatever they're using. They're using vowel shapes, they're using raised soft palate. So they're
3: using a downstream force as well as the upstream force Mm -hmm. and that's enabling the vocal folds to stay closed for longer.
0: And that's, to simplify that for the listeners, that's airflow and resonance reflecting or feeding back to the vocal folds, both at which yes. provide that singer, yes. female singer with more body in the sound. Absolutely, yes. 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 absolutely. Because
1: the body isn't in the sound from the, from the vocal fold. Where it gets fascinating is when you get classically trained female singers going into pop, rock, R&B musical theatre particularly where a lot of musical theatre is based on a modal of some kind a thinned modal, a bright modal whatever you want to do they are still using all the resonating things that they have used on their falsetto to bulk the sound up and then they add vocal fold and they overdo it so that's why you get classical singers who say you can't take chest voice above E above middle C they're quite right they can't Musical theatre singers who are used to working on a modal vibration can take chest voice up to C C5, above D5. C, D5, yeah. E5, F5. We've had people going up to G sharp 5 in a, in a, in a modal. And then you get the gospel belters. Mm. So that was one of the biggest things for me, is the idea that once you start knowing what's going on at vocal fold level, you start to understand that the resonating... Things that you're using in falsetto cannot work on modal. You have to adjust.
3: Okay, Right. I want to chip in here, actually. Uh, One thing is to say this is our thinking at this point in time.
1: Hey, we're going to change it tomorrow. (laughs) Um,
3: Obviously, it's from what what we've learned from uh, voice research studies and from what we've learned by putting it into practice and finding that it works. I think that there is more conversation to be had about registers because in the past, almost all register theory was predicated on the male model. Mm. And I think until we look more into female voice, particularly female voice singing in non-classical music genres, we won't find out that more. I mean, it is starting to happen now. But I think that was one of the big things about the you know, the sort of the chest falsetto divide that I suspect caused a bit of a political issue amongst the singing community in in the US, uh, which was that it was really based on male voice. And that's... That's my opinion. There's more conversation to be had. We, I think we do not yet know some things, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But this is how we apply it in our practice. When mm-hmm. We're looking at you know, the what are we analysing. We're analysing breath use. We're analysing vocal fold function. We're analysing pattern of register. We're analysing the shape of the resonator. We're analysing how someone uses their articulators. Those are the things that we're looking for um, in terms of vocal function and how those pan out.
1: Putting it into practice, one of the fav- my favourite things to do in a session is when somebody comes in and says, I've got four recordings of four different artists, I need to be able to sing all of these songs, I'm in a cover band, how do I make these sounds? How do I sound like this person? And I'm going, great, play the recording, let's analyse what they're doing, now let's put it onto your voice... And find out what your voice can do and what your voice capabilities are doing those stylistic things and those basic sounds. You are not going to sound like a carbon copy, but you're going to sound like your version doing this style or making these sounds. One of my favourite things to do. That mm. combination of analysis and putting it into practice. And, and
3: there's something here that I, I want to add to that, which is the idea, um, you know, because there are some training systems that use sound templates... Uh, The Estill system is one. I think that the complete vocal technique is another. They're very similar in that way. And the sound templates are really useful because they give you something that you can just play with and have fun with. But if what you do is you have a rigid attitude to how that sound template is produced Mm. and you then map that onto the student instead of mapping the student's voice to that template, Mm -hmm. you're in trouble. Because there are so many variables in the vocal tract that if we, we cannot assume that the sound output comes from just one set of uh, movements. There are loads of others. An example would be uh, producing an edgy sound, which I understand from Genie Levetri is much more used in the US than twang. But say we were talking about a twangy sound, something like that, uh, that could easily produce by someone who has an overriding um, A position, such as uh, someone in Glasgow, a Scottish person, hmm. will actually speak with what we perceive to be a shed load of twang, hmm. actually because of their, um, how would we call it, sort of the, their vowel colour, their mm-hmm. overriding mm-hmm. vowel colour which might affect laryngeal position, without even consciously twanging. Mm. So that would be an example of two different inputs to make a perceptually similar sound outcome. Mm. And
0: then you have the whole world to consider when it comes to accents and dialects and their actual equilibrium positions, even on the lips, like they can be more pursed or more open or... (laughs) susceptible to jaw tension, low larynxes, high larynx, all that. So it's, it's actually a minefield, isn't it, when you think about it, when you teach internationally, well, I think.
1: Well, it, yes. it's fun. It's fun because really that's when your diagnostic skills come in, which is what is your default position? Mm-hmm. What, are, what is it that you do when you're not thinking? What is it that you do when you're not singing? What's your default speaking position?
0: yeah and I think that's really that's actually a really good segue into your app actually mm. because the app congratulations by the way Thank it's you. it's been very successful on yeah. iTunes, released around about June time sometime in the summer yeah. but currently as of this week, number twenty seven in the music app. Chart, but number three in the Music Paid app chart. That's That's correct. Uh, And it's a set of vocal warm-ups lasting one minute and actually focused a lot around the speaking voice. So, despite the fact that this app would be very useful for singers, why in in your opinion is it so focused on speaking voice
3: well there are two things first of all it's a collaborative project we were collaborating with a speech therapist and an app developer who are also a this husband and, and wife. wife team called speech tools and it felt like a good place to start to look at healthy functioning of the voice and after all you know no matter how much we sing of our day is spent speaking. So everything that we're doing with our speaking voice is going to impact on singing voice. We've just been talking about how different habitual patterns can help or hinder a singer Mm. to produce certain sound qualities. So we felt this was the right place to start. And I have to say that for decades I have resisted, and and you too, I did not want to make a generic warm-up. And uh, CD or, or release one, even though people have begged me to, because yeah. my warm ups are customised yeah. to the student.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, the amount of emails we get saying, What's the best warm up? <gasps> And it's like yeah I know I know somebody's out there looking for ideas it's not it's not really a criticism on the person who's emailing but it's just like when when uh, coaches get out there in the world you realize it's so wide it's so hard isn't it to distill. So what how did you how what was your process coming up with the most universally useful set of exercises?
1: Okay first of all there are um, a load of one-minute exercises, and each each exercise focuses specifically on one technique. But what I think makes the app interesting, and it's why we still have not produced the generic warm-up, is that you can put those um, single exercises into combinations, into sequences. And there are somebody did the maths for me once, and I think there's half a million. Different sequences that you can do from the app.
3: You can imagine mm. how combinations. Yes. Wow, that's yeah. incredible! So,
1: you, uh, in the app, you can do up to five exercises in one combination. And you decide what you can do. You can repeat the exercises. So, if you find that you need you you're really not working well, your throat is very closed that day. You can do the opening throat exercise three times, mm. if you want to, or five times if you want to. That's five minutes of opening throat. Um, so I'm still going that we haven't actually produced the generic warm-up. What we've done is produced an app that will allow you to produce the, the sequence that works best for you that day. Right.
3: And it was based on those areas. We uh, looked at... Because it's an app and people are going to be using it in their car, we couldn't use things like some of the body balance exercises that we used in our um, children's books, the Singing Express. But we do have things that enable you to get in touch with your physicality, particularly around the shoulder and the neck area, which is important. But we were looking at breath use, breath flow, and we were looking at throat tension, tongue tension, what people experience as... Tension
1: And diction exercises. Yeah,
3: um, articulation exercise, Mm. because that's important, and learning to, you know, just find a, dare I say a generic, but sort of, you know, a mouth space that's going to allow you to articulate efficiently, rather than going for some of the resonance shapes that singers Mm. use for formant tuning. So we didn't need to do anything like that. What else is on the app? Um,
1: There's a whole little section on... Oh, pitch. Well, there's pitch, there's pace and volume. Mm. Uh, There's all sorts of things that are Mm. sort of more than just making sounds. They're actually putting Mm. them them into Mm. practice, which you might have gathered by now is more my... Field. <laughs> yes, is, yes, yes. It's lovely that you can make the sounds. Congratulations. Now let's ma- let's put them into practice and make them work for you. Right.
0: And w- would you be able to share some of your favourite exercises on that programme? Yeah.
3: Uh my favourite is the pitch one. Oh yeah. <laughs> where we show how to achieve a pitch glide. If you start off with a very simple mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. almost everybody can do that. And then finding that you can move around a little bit in pitch. So mm hmm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that's quite the sequence, but that's what no, it's no, sure. based yeah, on. Yeah. And then we have, mmm. Mmm. So you begin to feel, oh right, I can go up to a highish pitch. Mmm. I can go down to a lowish pitch.
2: So that would be more for a uh, maybe um someone just starting out with their voice, would it? or Yes,
3: very much so. Uh, perhaps someone who needs to speak a little bit in public uh, or a teacher so that they have some variation in their tonal quality. Because what often happens when people feel challenged by their voice? is that they start to speak on a monotone and they'll often push their voice down in pitch to try and protect it. Whereas actually what we need for a little bit of interest is to move the pitch around. So say they did something like that and then I think, what have we got? I'd like a tea, please, not a coffee. I'd like a tea,
1: please, not a coffee. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm not sure I agree with that statement, but anyway, yeah, I'll go with
1: it. Trust me, but you. But I'd like a tea. <laughs>
3: In the UK, pitch is one of the ways that we create emphasis. Uh, US speakers apparently typically will use volume, but we use pitch variation.
0: And how Mm. did you arrive at that that observation? Is that literally just... Over the years, it struck you, or did you actually purposefully measure that?
3: Uh, regretfully, I can't tell you where we read it, but it would have been a paper that we read about right. uh, how people. It might even have been Paul Meyer's dialect.
1: Possibly, yeah. I think
3: it's in Paul Meyer's dialect coaching, uh, where because he's a he's a British guy who now works in America, done a fabulous series of dialect stuff, and I think he talks about in. Uh, standard British speech. There's more pitch variation. I hope I'm right about that.
2: Yeah, more aggression in American
3: speakers. I think that's the <laughs> I think the That's, logical... <laughs> that's yes. But I think I think
1: what's interesting is that they tend to be they tend to have a slightly um, slightly smaller pitch range, but they actually use volume and pull and point mm. more. Mm. And I think there's a beautiful example of um, an actor who has been successful in the UK and successful in the US. I don't think the series is still going, but Hugh Laurie played the Prince Regent in Blackadder, and that pitch range is over two octaves. Mm. It's extraordinary what he's doing. Um, So that's a really quite exaggerated pitch range, and that's the character that he's playing. He then goes to America and plays House in nine series, uh, so obviously successful, and he is almost monotone. Mm. Mm. So the pitch range is minute in that, but he's using um, emphasis. But he's pretty cool
0: in that, though, isn't he? Yeah. Apparently, I've never watched it. I don't know why I'm even getting
1: involved in this conversation. <laughs>
3: <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, he's very cool. He also uses quite a lot of fry.
0: Yeah, does he? Yeah, uh,
1: and
3: then he sings words blues words too. That, yeah, yeah. He sings blues. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: And what, should, what? What would be your favourite exercise, Jeremy? The, the the diction exercise that we do is on consonants. Um, and when people talk about emphasising words, what they tend to do is kick the consonants. There is another way of doing it, which is to extend the consonants. So you actually make the consonants slightly longer. So um, we came up with some phrases like, fetch the chilli cheese to show sister Jean. You came up with that? Yes. All on your own. (laughs) 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 Because that is (laughs) mental.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Can we please tell them about Harry Hole afterwards? Harry Hole! That was mine. I I don't
1: think we've got time for that.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Do fetch the chilli cheese.
1: If you think about fetch the chilli cheese, and the reason that we did that is that these are fricatives. So you've got fricatives and affricates. Fetch the chilli cheese to show Sister Jean. That would be emphasising the fricatives by volume. Fetch the chili cheese to show Sister Jean. Whoa! So God, that's quite <laughs> assertive. That was a strong <laughs> reaction from Gillian.
0: Just for the sake of, uh, for the what sake intense. of knowing this moment. Well, yeah.
1: <laughs> so by doing that, what I'm doing is I'm actually putting faster airflow behind the the fricative, and I'm also like the Fs and the Chs and the Shs, but I'm also biting slightly harder with uh, the gap, the, it's the contact between, um, or near contact between the teeth and the lip. Fetch the chili cheese to show sister Jean, which is quite aggressive. Um, what's interesting is that if you use the other way to do it, which is to extend the consonants, but keep them the same volume, Fetch the chilli cheese to show Sister Jean. Ooh, saucy. <laughs> we have got saucy, haven't we? <laughs> now I'm, I'm feeling lost. rather good. <laughs> yeah. well, I'm stimulated. i want... <laughs> And obviously I'm doing the exaggerated version, but what's interesting when you do the exaggerate, exaggerated version and then you back off a bit and you do it a little more easily, fetch the chilli cheese to show Sister Jean. Hmm is very clear diction
3: and what it and does if you
1: need that type of diction that's a great exercise to do it
3: great. raises also it raises awareness of where the point of articulation is without us having to go in i mean i think we do name the consonant type yeah. you know but without us having to talk about you know type manner and placement yeah because people are just going to zone out they're not going to do that no, in we, their cars we flush it up
1: the the app actually is cartoons so all of these one-minute exercises are cartoons. I learned to draw for this mm. app, which i have <laughs> never been able to draw before. And then I found a lovely little program that I could do it. So all the, I've done all the videos on the, cartoon, uh, the cartoons on the app. And so everyone has either visuals of what you're doing or visuals of the words that you're saying or little facts that throw up as well. So we say that um, uh, TCH is an affricate, for instance. Um, And that's quite useful. And I think cartoons are basically international. I think that's what's so interesting is that there's so much um, visual to camera stuff now on, on YouTube that you sort of blank out because it's like, oh, they, they look nice. Um, oh, isn't that interesting? What's that stuff behind them? What, what books have they got on their bookshelf? <laughs> yeah. uh, rather than paying attention to what's going on, I think what's nice about the cartoons because they're so clear and they're so um, international, actually, mm. that you start to pay attention to what's in the app and also because they're, they're only a minute long. The challenge for the app was actually getting the exercise with all its stuff into a minute. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh I bet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that was fun. Mm-hmm. So what we have is you have a three or four-minute tutorial that tells you what's happening, why the exercise is there and exactly how to do it, and then we have the one minute just do it version. Excellent.
0: I mean that's, that's the perfect way to do it. Um, now can I get my tin opener again? Um, <laughs> And and bring bring a listener question to you, right? So the listener listener preferred to be anonymous. This is a this is is from Jimmy Flanagan. Jimmy, it was a girl, so you know we'll go with it. All right, Jimmy, Um, what exactly is tilt? Yeah. And how can I access it properly? And we know we know like that that's an a a still phrase. Uh, Might not be familiar with everyone, but you might see it on forums or, or Facebook or whatever. But if you could give us the um, the simple version of what tilt might be considered, and then we can open it up as to like, you know, what, what is it if someone hears it and how might this person actually discern the, the information? It's
1: unfortunate in a way that this is not a live question because I would have to ask the question straight back, which is what do you mean by that? <laughs> Great. Then we just, should we just um, wrap it up? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Cool. Nice. I'm going to jump in. I'm
3: going to jump in.
1: <laughs> With you, some gloves on. Before you jump in, because this is actually a valid question, which mm. is you have obviously, this is about beliefs and what people are holding. You have an idea about what it might be, or you've been told that you don't have it and therefore you should have it. So I'm still, I would still ask the question before answering anything, which is what do you think it means and why do you think you need it? Or why have you been told that you need it? Because this is not just about what the word means or what the technique might be, but what application precisely do you think you need
3: it for? Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually I agree with that. Because if the questioner if the question had just been, what is tilt? What do you mean by it? But it's how do I get more of it? Is that right? Yes. Or well, how, how can
0: I access it, I guess.
3: Yeah. In how general. can I access it? Yes. It is a term that is used quite widely in the UK. And if, like me, you're in a lot of groups where you, um, you know, interact with American colleagues, you will know that it's a term that's not much used in the US. In fact, I've had quite high-level American colleagues say, yeah, but w- what's this thread about? What is it?
2: And you're like, don't worry about it, leave it. <laughs> Ignore it all. <laughs> exactly.
3: So I think it's useful to sort of unpick what, what that means. Generally, uh, my understanding is um, from um, the way that the the Estill people approach it is that it's something to do with the CT mechanism.
1: That's crancothyroid mechanism. Yeah.
3: Now, you can see in some parts of the literature, I seem to remember reading something that Ron Bacon wrote, a chapter for um, one of Satilov's books. I'm sorry, I've forgotten the name, but we can always slot it in later. Mm. Edited by uh, Rob Satilov. Uh, That um, when the CT mechanism, the cricothyroid mechanism engages, it tilts the upper part of the larynx, the thyroid, forward. And you can actually see that diagram. I use that diagram in my after Estill speech. So that would be one example of what people might mean by tilt. They're engaging the CT mechanism to make a more CT dominant sound, stretching and elongating the vocal folds. Of course, the problem comes along when you read a lot of the other literature which tells you exactly the same effect can be achieved by moving the cricoid upwards towards the thyroid. So then we have another movement that achieves exactly the same thing. So if you're going to talk to your student about tilting to elongate the vocal folds to access higher pitches more easily you need to be able to explain to them using a model of the larynx look you have these muscles called the c um ct muscles and they will either uh bring the thyroid closer to the cricoid or the other way around and you show them the model and you explain about an elastic band stretching and you say with this action you can uh, thin and elongate your vocal folds for easier access to high pitch and then you as the teacher need to be darned careful making sure that your student if you're going to teach a move like that knows which one he or she does.
1: Either of them are fine. Because there isn't one that's wrong and one that's right.
3: In fact, I move my cricoid to thyroid and not the other way around.
1: The whole point of this is that um, you're looking at muscle that goes from the thyroid cartilage, this is at the front and slightly to the sides, uh, from the thyroid cartilage down to the cricoid cartilage. And it's actually a double-headed muscle, so there's, it arises on, on the cricoid cartilage and there's a muscle that goes upwards and there's a muscle that goes diagonally. What then happens is if that muscle contracts, the relationship between the thyroid and the cricoid cartilage will change. So the gap between them at the front will get smaller. Now, either the thyroid will tilt downwards or the cricoid will tilt upwards. It has exactly the same effect. So the gap at the front gets smaller. And both of those effects will stretch the vocal folds. And the reason that you want stretched vocal folds is because stretched vocal folds access high notes more easily. They vibrate faster. They can vibrate faster. Mm.
3: So it's nothing more than that, and it would be something that you would use in particular circumstances rather than being something that you would use in a held position throughout your vocal range, in my opinion.
1: Mm, Me too. Because what
3: we don't want is to have the vocal fold muscles at stretch all the time.
0: And is is that what you find in your experiences, that tilt seems to be a wholesale application once one starts singing rather than a uh, recipe for a movement instead.
3: Absolutely. Yes. Yes. I mean it's about pitch range. If we engage that cricothyroid mechanism then the most likely outcome is that we will change pitch. If we disengage it we will change pitch in a downward direction. Of course, there are neural things neural things that go on you know to make that happen as well so if we're trying to hold it in position right the way across the range that's actually not efficient vocally
1: i mean technically if you think about holding a muscle stretched across your entire range you are not going to hit your low notes end of story because the loan for low notes that you need a, um, a vocal fold that is going to vibrate slower since the byproduct of Tilting is to stretch the vocal fold to get them to vibrate faster, you're actually going to lose all your low notes. Which is f- so therefore, you need to, what we call, unhook the tilt. Why stretch
3: the elastic band for the low notes? Yeah. Does not make sense to me at all. Yeah. There is some thinking, and this is not, an you know, uh, I don't feel expert to talk about this, but in, in the UK now, from Janice Chapman's work, we're starting to think that what people mean by tilt for an overall sound outcome, is actually to do with a resonating shape that is being held in the pharyngeal area.
1: Yes. So and it's not to do with the vocal folds at all.
3: Yeah. And you can this can actually be seen and it has been observed by Dane Chalfin in about 400 subjects. And that, I think, is where we need to go if we're looking for that, that sound overall sound quality that people want.
1: I mean, in essence, what we've just done is we've undone the question and we've not answered it. Yeah, <laughs> sorry about that. Sorry, how do I access it? No, I'm just gonna, can we... <laughs> For goodness maybe, sake.
0: Maybe if I listen to it six times, I
2: might figure something out.
0: But there's there must be there's there's usually a common instruction, isn't there, for tilt amongst um, either teachers of a still or teachers that have adopted that terminology.
3: I'll tell you what I use. So in, in my everyday speaking voice at the moment, if I'm sort of in my kind of right-on voice, then I would say I'm not using much cricothyroid activity. But if I wanted to go to a higher pitch and maybe I was having difficulty with that or eliciting it with a student, I would say, why don't you have a bit of a whinge or a moan? Because when we go, oh no, that's not fair. Oh, oh, ow, we usually raise the pitch. And the thinking at the moment is that that will elicit this sort of tilted thyroid or cricoid position. So more CT dominant.
1: So adding a bit of um, whinge, adding a bit of moan yeah. um, is a mix.
0: Oh, I thought we'd put that one to bed, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. Um, but also, that that voice quality you talk about, Gillian. what throat shape is that holding for someone who might overuse that quality?
3: That is something I can't answer, because the overuse of tilting that I was talking about was about the CT mechanism. Okay. And the thinking is that with this sort of whinge, it's more about widening in the pharynx together with uh, slightly longer, thinner vocal folds.
1: Um, I can demonstrate for you the sort of... I actually heard this in the West End. I heard somebody sing an entire role. I'm not going to name the show. <laughs> I heard the entire role sung like this. So he actually maintained this shape that entire time and then tried to get louder on it and higher and then tried to belt on it and then tried to get low. And it definitely doesn't work.
0: Right, because, I mean, that's... Uh, so if, he, if, if that gentleman is going from speech quality to belt... They're inherently dynamic shapes and different shapes, right? Yep. But in in his case, it was one shape for all. But what 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 trouble could someone run into if if they attempt the same thing?
1: Lose your voice. So what you've got is muscles at extreme stretch. Vocal
3: fatigue, because if muscles no. are at extreme at extreme stretch, what will happen is they lose their ability to relax. It's ex- exactly, you know, the same as any muscle. If it's um, tensed and elongated all the time, it forgets how to relax, and then what happens is you actually lose its tensile capacity.
2: Mm. Mm. So, would you say that um, all this said, mm. that the there's a need for this movement? And uh, but not to overuse it because there are other notes that people have to sing. But it's actually probably the biggest the biggest driver for a question like this is probably how do how would one instruct it? And in fact, do you have to instruct that movement? When in fact, as we spoke about earlier on, um, it's a byproduct of efficient use efficient voice voice use. I think
1: any um, to be honest, any situation any. physicality that you hold throughout is a bad idea. End of story. Mm. Mm. Doesn't matter what you're singing, it doesn't matter what style you're in. If you are holding something in a particular position the entire time, you have lost your flexibility. Mm. And actually what then happens is you're then having to pile other stuff on in order to make your singing work because you are holding something solid. And in this case, the word solid is not a good idea. Mm. Flexibility is good.
3: I think my answer, and, and, you know, I apologise to your listener that we aren't giving her or him a definitive answer, is that I think that more discussion needs to be had about what this term actually means. if the the, the movement of the cricothyroid mechanism needs to be better understood and what its purpose is and whether we actually need to teach it in a conscious way or whether, as someone like um, Janice Chapman would say, that by using the whinge, it's more of a primal sound and that it elicits support and all of those things, that it's one of those pre-verbal sounds that we're actually programmed to do so more discussion needs to be had about that and, you know the, the role of um the lengtheners in the vocal folds as opposed to or together with this shape and i think that what this listener is is looking for is some kind of a shape and it may not be anything to do with using the ct mechanism yep. that's my guess
0: and, and uh, distill that however you like, it? <laughs> But it's actually and, very and, interesting. And, and, good, and good luck. Because <laughs> <laughs> the jury's out on it still. We need more explanation. Jury, exactly. Ex- yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. And there's so many issues on singing that That's, the same way.
3: Sometimes you have to be brave enough to say, I don't know all the answers. I can only ask the question.
0: Yes, great. Okay, thank you, guys. So we've got one last thing to, to talk about, and that is where you would like people to go and... Um, find out more about you, look at the stuff that you've created, and also find out more about your books and apps. Where would you like people to to direct their attention on that front?
1: Uh, Vocalprocess.co.uk is the the website. Um, Funnily enough, I think the webinars are probably the place to go to. We have 18 webinars um, that are an hour long each, uh, in which we have loads of visuals, we talk about techniques, we demonstrate them, we show you what the exercises are to do them. Uh, We've got two on speaking voice, we've got two on how we diagnose, and we've got 14 on different aspects of technique and performance.
3: Three trunk shooting webinars, which are great. Yeah. Also, we have a Vocal Process Facebook.
1: Before you go to the Facebook, Uh um, store.vocalprocess.co.uk forward slash webinars.
0: Right, the quick link. And I will put all of this in the blog post, uh, supporting blog post as well. Yeah,
3: Facebook. Yeah. Uh, go to the Vocal Process Facebook. If you've heard us talk about something here that you're interested in and, you know, you don't feel like trawling through a website, just message us.
1: Mm.
0: Great. That's true. Okay, excellent.
3: And we'll point you, you know, tell us what you're interested in yeah. and we will point you, it's usually me that does this, directly towards something that is going to be a benefit to you. We do have lots of fun-free stuff as well. We do,
1: yeah. I mean, the the, the thing is, because we've done, we've actually produced so much, Mm -hmm. people can get completely overwhelmed by looking at it, Mm. because it's seven books, Mm -hmm. 18 webinars, five DVDs, a CD, and an app. (laughs) <laughs> Just wow. <a> saying yeah. <laughs> Yes,
0: you've been quite productive I have what to say And then, then obviously your individual uh, teaching hours and workshops yeah. In person, that's yeah. quite a lot going on so. and,
1: and on Skype as well I've done Skype masterclasses Which I've loved doing Because I love the idea of me on a 40 foot screen <laughs>
0: Yes, that is a great That would be great for my ego, I
1: think <laughs> Not that you need yeah, anymore. My God complex Don't need <laughs>
3: Oh, can, we, can we give a little shout for the new course we've created? Yes,
1: the Musical Director's Vocal Technique Retreat.
0: Wow, that's very specific. Yes. Mm-hmm. Great, so Musical Director's Vocal Technique Retreat. Yes. I guess we don't really need to ask who that's for. No. no. Nope. Smashed it in the title there. there was that, that was the 2008 <laughs> marketing course going on. There.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: and wh- when and where is that happening?
1: Um, it's actually happening, well the first, the first run is happening in Fortnite. fortnight. Um, but it is going to go into our canon of uh, courses. Because we've uh, had a courses. lot of
3: interest. Mm. I mean, some people can't make it, but we've had a lot of interest from people. I had an email yesterday saying, this is the course I've been waiting for for years.
1: We, we awesome. had 400 hits on that page in the last three days. Mm. So, people are really interested. And the interesting thing about that is, musical directors are usually instrumentalists. Mm. They don't often have singing training. If they do have singing training, which is rare, it will mostly have been classical. And then they're faced with We Will Rock You, or, you know, the Book of Mormon. Which the classical training won't work for, but they are responsible for cast warm-ups every day. Yes. So we have a huge section on what is a warm-up, what are the exercises, what does that exercise actually do, what sequence should these exercises be put in, you know, and basically the idea by the end of the weekend is that the musical directors will know what the exercises do, what the vocal techniques are, which order to do them in, and can change them around depending on the show they're MDing.
2: Awesome! Oh, brilliant!
1: Sounds incredibly and, useful.
2: And you can, understandably so, because I, I know there's been a lot of um, MDs. Uh, what's the word? Um, slagged off over the years. <laughs> what's the
0: word? It was, in the <laughs> it was already there. Just give me time. I need to give this bi- <laughs> bit more stature. This sentence here.
2: Um, you know, it had some um, aggression thrown their way because of the um, expectations. Put on singers yes. um, over the years, and I think that's a, this is this is just brilliant for that. Let's
1: I, start warm up with a two and a half octave run. Right, <laughs> good <laughs> idea. Yes. Don't
3: do Bella Signora oh. if you're going to sing the Book of Mormon.
1: Okay, Bella Signora, that's one of my pet hates because I was an MD for years. Do you guys doing, know Bella Signora? No. Can we pick a more modern song? <laughs> um, no, <laughs> we're, 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 way, we're way off the cliff. We're <laughs> <del. laughs> Let me just <laughs> demonstrate Bella Signora. This is the exercise that is used a lot in musical theatre warm-ups. Bella Signora
0: Beautiful. Resonance. I think you might have peeked it. Actually, that was lovely. So that's a
1: real common one on stepping that, that, up and down. I love it. They
3: absolutely love it. When you
1: analyse that, first of all, I'm singing classically. Secondly, that's classical runs. Those are classical scales, which are absolutely no use for a pop musical, because pop is mainly based on pentatonic stuff. Thirdly, it's very, very legato, very smooth. And fourthly, it's sung in Italian. (laughs) I can only think of one show where that warm-up would actually be useful. And that is... Two,
3: Phantom of the Opera well, and two. Light on the Piazza. Light on the,
1: Pia- Light in the Piazza, which actually contains a singer who sings in Italian opera. Thank you, I'll, I'll buy that one. And I'll buy Phantom of the Opera for the same reason. Um, but I won't buy it for anything else. It's, that's, the patterns are wrong, the sounds are wrong, the vowels are wrong. It's just that, what possible use is that going to be to sing bear? Right,
0: yeah, exactly mm. Mm. and that 's where this course comes in, really helpful, so so it 's happening in two weeks time, yes. chances are if people keep up with your Facebook page and on your website they 'll see recurring occurrences of this course
3: reminders, reminders yes. Yes, yes so please
0: do sign up to that so thank you both for joining us incredibly wow. interesting mm. um yeah we urge everyone to get in touch with you if they have any questions or uh please do email us at info at if you would prefer to get in touch with us to forward the questions thank you guys welcome back listeners hope you found that enjoyable informative somewhat controversial at times But that's that's what we're about. We're about (laughs) impartialnessism. That's the deal. That's the deal at this HQ, babes. As mentioned in the uh, podcast, there at the end by Jeremy, there are a whole bunch of webinars that help all kinds of different things, from diagnosing voices for teachers to uh, any part of vocal anatomy and and teaching and singing. All told, at vocalprocess.co.uk. If you wish to purchase any of those webinars, again, we don't, we, we don't financially benefit from this, but Gillian and Jeremy did offer us 40% discount to Naked Vocalist listeners and readers. So if you would like to take advantage of that, then when, if you go and buy one of those webinars on their website, enter the code Naked Vocalist as one word, Naked Vocalist as one word, um, and you will get 40% discount on those webinars. Um, there will be show notes to this episode on the naked So anything that you missed out, including details on their warm up app and everything else that's in the episode, get yourself along to the naked vocalist, go into the podcast section and there you'll see vocal process, Jillian and Jeremy there to read through as well. What are you up to today, mate? What are you going, What are you got going on?
2: Well, for one thing, I would just say um, I'm, I'm going to uh, in, uh, Sorry, in answer to your question I'm actually uh, teaching today uh, which is a
0: surprise. <laughs> what am I likely to be doing over a day? Um, teaching. Yep. Teaching. And I'm filling in the gaps with tears. <laughs> <laughs> no, do you know what I'm going to be filling the gaps with?
2: Perusing the the naked Vocalist Facebook group. <laughs> <laughs> Perusing it, what for?
1: Well, you hoping, for a, what, how could you
2: well, get out of it? Well, this is the thing, in all, all jokes aside. Let's be real. Um, I I don't contribute that much in there at the moment. However, I still do read it. I do read it, but I just find it. I I'm struggling to. to Find of time to write at the moment in there. But <laughs> the reason why I bring it up is because any anybody listening to this podcast out there at the moment that it wants a little bit of impartialnessism uh, in singing and um, and is on their Facebook and you've just got you know lad Bible in your feed and maybe a little bit of um, I don't know. um funny animals, funny animals. But you want a little bit of singing stuff. Uh, there, there is a lovely vibe, lovely bunch of people in there. We don't accept
0: idiots. No,
2: they do get they do get told. Yeah,
0: then um, add, get stuck in the naked vocalist community. Uh, yes, uh, what, they, the uh, link. The link. Um, if in case you want it, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash TNV community. But yeah, I'm okay. sure if you search it, you'll also find it as well. What are you doing today? Um, I'm going to actually get my workshop together for the Voice Teacher Forum. Um, that's in April, which I mentioned at the start of the episode. Uh, so I'm having a, li- a little little roundup about that. Um, that's good prep. That's how many weeks are we out? Oh, I don't know. Probably six or
2: eight. Yeah, I'll probably start mine in six weeks' time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's classic. That is classic. You know, but no, I, I think I've been thinking about it for a while. And I just want to get my thoughts down on paper because, uh, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of the direction is clear. Quite often you just think you're thinking, right, what would be valuable? But I've been th- I've been wanting to deliver this subject for a while and just actually looking for an opportunity. Um, so this one, this one coming along, coming along means I'm actually unusually more prepared because I've thought so much about it. Um, so I'll be doing that. But it's snowing here, Steve. Mm. in my gaff so um, as, as what happens with about 0.3 millimetres of snow in the UK um, nobody can go anywhere stand still so standstill. yeah exactly so I might just um, sk- uh, slip and slide down the high street to slide go and get I basically just need to chocolate. Get no electric brush tooth heads tooth heads electric toothbrush heads okay mate Well, you have a good day yeah, are we? Are we uh, for anybody who's still mental <laughs> enough to still be listening, sorry. I mean, I, I, I really, just click the button. Just click, put, click those two lines that that say pause, and just walk away. Stop now. Yeah, um, but have a great one, Steve, and everybody else. Goodbye, everyone. Have a lovely day. The Naked Vocalist Podcast with Chris Johnson and Steve Giles.